Hello and welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we are here each and every week on BYU Radio to give you the very best in entertainment. We do it by shining a spotlight on all that is good in the entertainment industry. We talk movies, we talk TV shows, but today we're kind of talking theater and Halloween, right Cole? Yeah, it's a different kind of entertainment, but it's something we want to shine a light on. Last week it was spooky books, this year it's going to be, this week it's spooky theater. Absolutely. But the first and foremost, Cole, we like to shine a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment news over the past week. And there's quite a bit of good news. There sometimes is. Yeah, (laughs) there's I mean, there's always some kind of like moving back movies. We're kind of done with that kind of news because it looks like we're just not going to get new movies in theaters in 2020, which means theaters are starting to open up to other possibilities. There's a lot of around this time Halloween movies that are back in theaters. Right. So you're seeing movies that maybe came out a year ago on demand or are new now, but they're they're doing a hybrid of on demand and released right to the theaters. So you're going to be seeing a bunch of movies that you've never heard of, you've never seen the trailer for, and uh, it's good timing because it's Halloween and we all want something to watch. And then there's also like Hocus Pocus and The Shining. And Hocus Pocus, classics. which is Doing better at the box office than most movies that are brand new. So good to see. <laughs> that and The Nightmare Before Christmas. You could, I'm sure you could catch Beetlejuice, Monster House, a bunch of others that are there. And then if you and your family and friends want to just get together for a movie night, AMC has joined the fray of many, many theaters offering renting out the whole theater for just your personal showing of whatever movie. Even if you're not in the mood for Halloween, even if scary isn't your jive, uh, you can pick, you know, from their giant catalog and go in for just $100, rent out the theater, and it's your space. That's a great deal, Cole. I mean, I know you are likely watching a movie that you own. It was a great deal when every other movie theater did it before AMC did it. But you're likely watching a movie that you own or, you know, that is super old. But you're only paying $5 to have a theater experience, if you take 19 other people with you, that is. That's the math, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what else do we want to talk about today, Cole? Well, the kind of news I always love talking about is... Look, it's a bird! It's a plane! Uh, It's this week in DC News. Jared Leto is back as the Joker in Zack Snyder's Justice League. That was this week in DC News. Now... Back, or are they just showing unreleased footage? Uh, well, who knows? It's The news <laughs> is that we're going to get more Jared Leto Joker, which is good news, or it's is it? news. Okay. Depending on your, your liking of that character. This is, to be clear, this is the Joker that people dubbed Hot Topic Joker. That's a good moniker for him. Uh, it's the Suicide Squad Joker that we saw with all of his weird tattoos. and Actually, to be even clearer, it's just Suicide Squad As opposed Joker. to the Suicide Squad, which will definitely not have Jared Leto Joker. Right. And they kind of I – didn't, I didn't see the emancipation of – fantabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn. Of a Quinn. one Harley Quinn. Uh, also not but, including Jared Leto. But they also alluded – to his death in that movie, maybe? Well, they alluded to him and Harley's breakup, which We're, is why we don't see him in the movie. But he kind of gets blown up, right? Or they suggest that he gets blown yeah, up yeah, yeah, without yeah. having to pay Jared Leto to appear blown up. This is why I have a stinger that says, this week in DC News, it's to help you all 
parse out and figure out which DC news is news and, and remember what the DC timeline is. Because you know what? Even DC doesn't really understand it. And so here, we're here to help you out. There's also, in a sort of bit of Halloween news, we saw the death. We, there's a lot of zombies and vampire stories. So uh, the unceremonious murder of Quibi happened oh. this week. The seven minute at a time streaming service that Jeff and I reviewed. We have a whole episode about Quibi right when it came out. And it was like four months ago, but you can see it on our podcast, wherever you get podcasts or on the BYURadio.org website, where you can catch all of our podcasts. Just Google screen cleaning podcast. That's right. And so if you want to uh, celebrate or mourn the loss of Quibi, go back and listen to our episode about Quibi, where we actually downloaded it and actually watched a couple of those episodes. I think that we predicted that it would be done fairly soon. And we were right. So Jeffrey Katzenberg, who used to be involved in Disney, would seem like, you know, he would have this great idea for this new and innovative platform where you can actually watch you can watch the TV or TV show or movie either vertically or horizontally. Of course, if you watch it vertically, it cuts out quite a bit of the picture, but it looked like they had some good shows, but. People just didn't sign up. They certainly threw a lot of money at it, but yeah. they didn't have the back catalog, right? Introducing a new streaming service to compete with Netflix is hard enough. But Apple TV Plus. <clears throat> but the Peacock, at least, is bringing like Parks and Rec and eventually The Office and then Paramount Plus or whatever CBS Alexis is turning. You know, they have their back catalog. Everyone has, you know, their TV shows that they already own that they're launching with. HBO has their, you know, and even the Looney Tunes and all the Warner Brother properties over on HBO Max and a new movie that we're going to talk about very soon. But Quibi was just making a bunch of TV shows, putting them out seven minutes. It was kind of a mess. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's unfortunate because it just seems like that's the way things are going right now, steering everybody towards streaming, especially with COVID and not being able to go to the movie theaters to see new movies. I miss it already. Yeah. Well, Cole, you alluded to the fact that we were going to be talking about one of those movies on one of those streaming services. We've actually got a couple of streaming service movies to review here today. Which one should we start with? Uh, I can go first because it's Halloween. It's more Halloween-y than yours, I would say. It is okay. a new imagining of Roald Dahl's The Witches, available on HBO Max. Ooh, I'm listening. So we we remember that the original The Witches from 1990 had this very imaginative special effects, and it turned an Angelica, Angelica Houston. Houston. Nope, not Angela Bassett. I don't know why that name was in my brain. She'd be pretty good in that role. Yeah, too. she probably would. Angelica Houston turned into this grand high witch, and she had a lot of prosthetics and makeup, and and just just really cool. Say it, Cole, it was it was terrifying. It was just terrifying. <laughs> This one has Anne Hathaway in that role, and it's got Robert Zemeckis behind the camera. Which hmm. and, and Zemeckis is the guy that's done a lot of these motion capture, um, terrifying but not supposed to be terrifying looking, <laughs> you know, Polar Express and Christmas Carol and those kind of things. And now he's taking that that visual imagination and turning it into something that's supposed to be scary. The witches, and it kind of works. Like really, it it certainly is probably scarier than little kids are gonna want and unfortunately this is at its core a little kid movie so as i've said a lot of times in reviews i don't know who the movie is for because it's about a kid 
and it's a kid's story from Roald Dahl, but it's probably too scary for actual kids to watch. So this is interesting, Cole, because we're hearing this from somebody who is an only child who grew up watching scary movies. Yeah, so, I mean, me as a 10-year-old would have loved this movie. But we should make it known that before Cole watched this movie, I requested that he watch it through the eyes of a parent with young children because I would love to show this movie to my kids but you're thinking maybe not. Yeah, so a lot of and it's it's the visual stuff, right? So it's instead of a lot of makeup on the witch's face and anyone that's read the book, seen the storybook or or seen the original movie, you you know that these witches have a very specific look and Zemeckis leans hard into that and expands it a little bit more like they they get like an almost joker look to their smile and their face where mm. the, whenever they sneer, their mouth opens up up a little bit wider than it should, like almost like Pennywise the Clown, Ooh, that's like creepy. chomping down. It, it really, yeah, they. It's a creepy looking movie, and even some of the effects where Octavia Spencer, who plays our main little kid's grandmother, and she's kind of guiding us through the movie and giving us the lore of the witches as she's explaining what witches look like, even as the lightning crashes and and the cool like atmosphere comes together, we see images of what the witches will look like in in the shadows and the lightning, and it's kind of spooky. I really loved it. I I loved that like atmosphere that it was creating but again probably too spooky for the kids that it's actually geared towards okay so we need to talk about Anne Hathaway because for me the best part of the original witches is is Angelica Houston and everything that the Jim Henson company did to I mean she could have been terrifying without all of those prosthetics and but she is terrifying is Anne Hathaway does she reach that level so she's got this accent that she's putting on during the course of it and I was laughing too much at the accent <laughs> to take her seriously as an imposing creature. And maybe that was a choice to, like, pull back because she would have been too scary with the look. She's acting like she's she is supposed to be scary, but it's also still a funny kids movie. You talk about the Jim Henson creations, and a lot of that was makeup, but a lot of it was the little, like, mice, right? Yeah. Here it's CGI mice, and mm-hmm. they're voiced by the two little boys that are turned into, and... And then for some reason, Kristen Chenoweth is playing the other mouse and supposed to be this like other eight-year-old girl or whatever, but she sounds exactly like Kristen Chenoweth. Interesting. It's an interesting movie. It's, like I said, it's a little spooky. It's got the atmosphere down. And if you liked the first one, I would recommend seeing the second one, but just maybe not for young, young kids. Okay. Well, maybe I'll preview that one before I show my kids and maybe I'll wait a couple years. The the last cool thing about it, I think we're in the middle of a Chris Rockessance because <laughs> after being in Fargo, which you enjoy, and starting the new Saw movie, you know, Spiral from the Book of Saw that he's doing, he's, he's doing a lot more serious stuff and he is our narrator uh the boy all grown up sort of uh that's sure. guiding us through this story so when i first heard chris rock i had to think back like man chris rock is in a ton of stuff right now he's shown up in a lot He's of commercials it. too mm-hmm. yeah well apparently remakes are the new thing or maybe it's been that way for a long time cole because that's all we seem to get these days and that includes the movie that i want to talk about next rebecca Starring Army Hammer, Lily James, and Kristen Scott Thomas. It's on Netflix. And this is a remake of the 1940 black and white Alfred Hitchcock movie, Rebecca, which itself 
is an adaptation of a book by Daphne du Maurier, right? I think I said that right. And let it be known, Cole, it's no secret, I'm a huge Alfred Hitchcock fan. I've seen the original adaptation of Rebecca from 1940, thankfully not in 1940. And that movie won Best Picture of the Year. It's the only Alfred Hitchcock movie to win Best Picture. It also won Best Cinematography. And what the black and white movie really does well is create an atmosphere and give you a villainous that you can really sneer at and love to hate. And this villainous, Mrs. Danvers, is actually voted number 31 on AFI's list of uh, 50 greatest heroes and 50 greatest villains on the villain side, obviously. Yes. Right. And you've got Laurence Olivier and Joan Fontaine and very well-made movie. And it's just a solid story, Cole. You've got a story about this. And the reason I can keep talking about the black and white version is because the story is the same for the updated version on Netflix starring Army Hammer and Lily James, as we've already established. But the black and white version and this new version, the story follows this this young woman who is sort of a maid, a servant to this high society woman who's vacationing. She happens to run into this very well-known young man played by Laurence Olivier in the original and Army Hammer in the updated version who has just recently lost his wife and he starts strikes up this friendship that kind of blossoms into this romance with this uh, with this maid or servant as you will so much so that uh, they decide to get married and he takes her back to his estate after they get married and it's called Mandalay and he she meets Mrs. Danvers, the person in charge of this estate. And she starts to realize or she starts to perceive very soon after arriving that she's kind of living in the shadow of this young man's previous wife who passed away tragically and under very mysterious circumstances, I might add. And the Mrs. Danvers is very manipulative and controlling and tricks this young woman into embarrassing herself multiple times to get her to see that you will never be as good as Rebecca. And the way she sees things, she believes, she starts to believe that she never will be as good as Rebecca. And there's so much that her husband is not telling her. And he will be very short with her and yell at her over things that confuse her. You know, all I'm I'm just trying to make you happy. I'm just trying to understand more about your deceased wife and he's not having it. And you come to find out later in the movie why that is. So it's a bit of a mystery. It's a romantic psychological thriller mystery. All of those elements are in there and uh the original Mrs. Danvers is quite terrifying. And n- no surprise she ends up on this list of heroes and villains. But really, the entire time you're watching this Netflix adaptation, you really ask yourself the question, do they really need to update this? Especially considering it strays pretty close to the source material and even the black and white version. There's really not a whole lot that's different. Uh, They throw in some random 
obligatory side nudity that uh, you really scratch your head over thinking, why did they need to put that in there? There's a little bit of language, but nothing really that differentiates it enough from the original. And in fact, it's if anything, it's more melodramatic than the original, which talk about laughing for the wrong reasons during a movie, Cole. Mm-hmm. You may be chuckling to yourself a little bit watching this movie, rolling your eyes, thinking, OK, this is all so very melodramatic. So the setup, the first half of the movie, I would say, is actually quite good. It looks great. Great stars in these roles. Speaking of people doing accents, you've got Army Hammer doing his best British accent, which is not that bad, to be honest with you. Okay. And I love anything that Lily James is in. She's great for this role because she's established herself as somebody that can be very timid and fragile. But she's also very good at stepping up and being more assertive when she needs to later on in the film. The acting is good. There's really just not a whole lot of there's really no reason for this movie to exist other than, you know, Netflix needed something to draw people in around Halloween. So Rebecca is also a stage play and we're going to talk about the theater a little bit more. This reminds me of just like a revival, you know, sure, we didn't need another movie, but sometimes actors who are also fans of movies and books and things like that want to take another turn at these classic characters. And I say let them. Cole, last week on the show, we talked about a couple of movies, speaking of Halloween movies to watch, that we just for some reason or another have not gotten around to watching, and we finally have, and we are so excited to give you this segment. Huh. Huh. I've I've been been meaning meaning to watch watch that. that. So, Cole, I was surprised to hear that you had never seen Mars Attacks! Exclamation point. Exclamation point included. Yeah, I've seen a lot of horror, and so now we're kind of branching off into, like, B-movie sci-fi territory that's that's got this alien invasion, and it's Tim Burton, and so it's always got that sort of creepy aesthetic. I watched Mars Attacks for the first time this week, and it was pretty good. That's my official statement on the matter. Oh, Okay, but I mean, it's it's basically a spoof of those old 1950s sci-fi B-movies. Yeah, I also watched Plan 9 from Outer Space this week, which is an Ed Wood classic that this is pulling a lot from. In fact, Tim Burton was making Ed Wood at the same time he was making Mars Attacks, and so that's probably where the main pull comes from. Uh, the, I think the biggest flaw, there, there's a couple things I saw with Mars Attacks. One, it came out the same year as Independence Day, and it is shockingly similar Hmm. to Independence Day. Now when I look back, I can laugh and just have a raucous good time with Independence Day. It's big, it's bombastic, and it's it's kind of funny because it's of that time. Mars Attacks sets itself up the same exact way where we're like going around the country and getting to know these like different little platoons of people right before the alien invasion really happens. And it's trying too hard to be funny and i think it it commits a little bit too hard to that 50s kind of dialogue and 50s acting to its detriment like it's definitely a great pastiche and it feels like the acting sometimes does belong in the 50s but then other times they're just acting like they did in the 90s and and then you see like these little cgi martians that never look really good or totally baked in um when when Lisa Marie comes on the stage, like she's very like aesthetic, like she looks a specific way, but it's just always kind of weird and off and not in the way that I felt like 
belonged with the movie, I guess. Cole, it was a simpler time, though. It was back before Johnny Depp was in every single Tim Burton movie. I mean, it was when Lisa Marie was in every single Tim Burton movie, right when before they were Helena Bonham Carter was in every single Tim Burton movie, when they before were Eva Green was in every single Tim Burton movie. Not dating. Right. Yeah. Um, interesting. I kind of want to watch it again, solely for the all the cameos, the countless cameos that come into the movie. And you kind of set it up to me. I think I might have had too high of expectations because you wanted okay. me to watch it and you love it. And you had kind of said, like, don't get too attached to any character because they're just going to, like, die off in comedic effect. <laughs> and it took them too long to die. Like, I kind of wanted to be introduced to Danny DeVito and have him been, like, blown up in the next scene. But he, like, keeps coming back. Like, yeah, it has a large sweeping cast, but none of it's, I don't know. I, I wanted a little bit more. All right. Well, I took your recommendation, Cole, and I watched a zombie movie. And I should say, I'm not really a huge fan. I'm not drawn to zombie movies, which doesn't make a lot of sense to even me because I am drawn to movies where you have numbers that continue to dwindle because, you know, it's the main character versus the whole world in the end, right? The invasion of the body snatchers. Which is a really, yeah, a really, it lends itself to the zombie genre, right? And... I was blown away by this movie, Cole. Yeah. This is, you know, aside from Zombieland, this is probably going to be my favorite zombie movie because it gives you characters that you actually care about, which is not something you can say about a lot of horror movies, Mm -hmm. least of them uh, zombie movies, right? And so you have this yuppie father who has no time for his daughter and he's going to take her on a train ride to go visit her mom on her birthday. At the same time, there happens to be this surprise, surprise, mass infection where people are turning into zombies left and right. And just as the train is about to pull away from the station, this random person just jets onto the train. And that is the start of it all, Cole. And I, in a way, I kind of felt like I was watching Snowpiercer because you have this class struggle where you have these people at the front of the train that, you know, either consider themselves better than the people at the back of the train who are now a bunch of zombies. And then you have these these really down to earth people who are just fighting for their lives to get to the front of the train where it's safest. And boy, you just by their by some of the stereotypes in this film or by some of these stock characters, you know, you're going to care about them because you've got a couple that's expecting a baby. You have this young couple in love that, you know, he's part of this baseball team and she's a cheerleader. And you have this poor, he looks like he's either homeless or deranged guy that you just feel really sorry for. But then you have this yuppie that you don't really like at the beginning, but because he's trying to save his daughter and he he evolves over the film, you really care about the characters. That's really the main reason why you're going to love this film. I will say... Even though it's kind of PG-13 slash not rated, I I wonder if it should have been rated R because it is pretty intense and there's a lot of bashing and beating and blood and biting. It's a zombie action movie. Like they sure. catch some of the horror elements, but it was it's got fast running zombies as opposed to the slow plodding Night of the Living Dead type. Very good suspense, mm-hmm. very good action scenes, the way that they're able to think their way out of these pickles that they find themselves in. Smart. Very 
very characters. Clever. That's very clever. I mean, the classic 80s slasher gets lampooned even by Geico commercials about making bad decisions during your yes. movie. These characters are always doing like even smarter things than I would think of, and I love that in a horror movie. But you also have a bunch of characters that are making very dumb decisions, yeah, and they're probably trying to say something in in the fact that the people making the dumb decisions are the wealthier, more prominent people in the movie. And a lot of the people that were the cause of the outbreak and trying to hide the outbreak yep. in the first place. Yep. Well, Train to Busan, I would definitely watch it again, and I can't wait to tell other people about it. When we come back on Screen Cleaning, I mentioned Rebecca being a stage play. We are going to talk more about spooky theater. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. There's a, there's a Martian right behind me. Hey, you're Tom Jones, right? It ain't unusual, eh? Tom, Tom, can I have an autograph? Anybody got a pen? <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer singing for you today. Welcome back into Screen Cleaning. Michelle Pfeiffer starred in the 2017 movie adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express, a classic Agatha Christie novel uh, directed and brought to screen in that version by Kenneth Branagh, who also played Hercule Poirot. It is a simple story and it lends itself well to theater and live performance and I recently got the chance to go see a live production locally in Utah of Murder on the Orient Express. We're talking today with the executive producer and co-founder of the Whole Dang Theater. It's Sally Dietline. Welcome onto the show, Sally. Hi there, Cole. How are you? Fantastic. And I'm I'm even better because I got to be in a live theatrical performance again. So we want to just tell the people about it. Murder on the Orient Express. For for the four folks out there, just to start, that have not seen the movie, heck, any of the movies, Kenneth Branagh, David Suchet on TV, or read the book, or seen the play, what is Murder on the Orient Express all about? Well, it's one of Agatha Christie's genius pieces. You know, Agatha Christie is the fourth most translated writer in the world. Uh, it's just amazing the number of people who've read her books. And she's famous for mysteries. This one is particularly famous because it has a very odd and surprising ending. And it's very interesting that you say that maybe two or three people on the planet don't know anything about it, but you would be amazed at the number of people in intermission who are trying to figure out who the culprit is and at the <laughs> end are blown out of their seat. Oh, yeah. So I, I know there are a lot of people out there who have seen it, but there are a lot who haven't. And even the ones who have seen it, this is such a well-crafted adaptation uh, that I think there, you know, you would enjoy it anyway. The standout performance, uh, the performances were great, great, but is the way that you incorporated the train and kept things so tight because I have never, I, I haven't been to the Hale Center Theater on this stage before. I haven't seen a production and it seemed so small and Murder on the Orient Express goes like it, it's got the whole train that you have to kind of explore, but you did it in a unique way. Could you talk about that? 
Maddie Ashton is the uh, set designer for this. And, uh, you know, we, we had to be able to show uh, the people loading onto the train. We had to be able to show the dining car uh, lounge area, if you will. We had to be able to show the compartments where people slept. And we had to be able to show the hallway where they moved up and down. Now that becomes a conundrum for a lot of stagnant stages. Luckily, the jewel box is tricked out with a revolve stage and um, a lot of other gimmicks that just really help us to do this. And so then she did research, extreme research, on what the murder on the Orient Express train, the, the Orient Express actually looked like. In fact, we actually have a lamp on the set from the original Orient Express. Oh man! I, I, I mean, our our um, our prop mistress Michelle Jensen is so careful in the way things are. So when you when you visit, you get a sense of reality. And as uh, so, to be able to uh, to change locations that train revolves and you watch not only the the dining car lounge area but as it revolves you see down the hall and people moving in and out of doors and then it revolves again and you see all of these compartments and it becomes visceral at least for me and i think for a lot of people you actually and then the pressure we time the show so that it's running uh, uh if you take intermission out it runs at about 1 30 every night and and it's timed because that pace really becomes important and then you because you have to feel that the terrain is just chugging and moving um, it's very exciting that way and and then you put great acting uh and and it just becomes such a fabulous evening of mystery it's so fun what do you think are some of the differences? Because I, I got to see this in October, and I'm I'm big on suspense and thrillers and these murder mysteries. What do you think uh, are some of the differences between going to see uh, a mystery like this on the stage versus just watching any old horror movie that you can pick up from Redbox? You get to be there when it happens. You know, you can you can watch films and you can have fabulous experiences, and there are amazing things but hearing actors breathe live uh, feeling the emotion of the audience around you and knowing that they are giving you a fresh story every night this is this isn't uh this is not just another dvd that's that's being run again uh this is the real thing uh it, there is a difference. I love movies, I have to say, and I've watched a lot of them during COVID time. I think we all have. <laughs> I, like you, am so thrilled to be able to be back where it really happens, back inside live stage, back where you can feel the emotion of the audience, because emotion is a visceral thing. You can feel it. And so I, I love what it does. And I love suspense. Uh, under that kind of um, of a situation, I love suspense in live theater. Okay, so let's let's address the uh, virus in the room. Let me let me take you back to March, <laughs> early March of 2020, back before March we knew 12th. That, that this was going to happen. What was that process like? Was this one of the performances that was kind of already in the works and you knew was going to happen? Um, and now, how is 
your theater, how's the theater that, that this is playing on kind of adapted to the times? Well, at March 12th, uh, we just suddenly closed. We were playing the United States premiere of Strictly Ballroom at the time, which mm-hmm. was phenomenal with uh, some of Utah's best dancers from all over the world, people who'd been on So You Think You Can Dance, Dancing with the Stars, um, all, all of the, I mean, Utah has amazing, so we had assembled them and we were doing that. Um, uh, plus, uh, we had Bright Star on at the time. And, uh, and it just stopped. And uh, after 35 years of producing theater, that was, to say the least, odd. Uh, and very uh, interesting emotionally for everybody. Uh, we, we are a large operation up here. We have, uh, at the time, we had uh, 75 full-time, um, 200 regular part-time actors, uh, no, regular part-time workers, and then uh, three to 400 actors uh, a year that were all paid mm-hmm. and everything stopped. So, um, you know, it was working through all of the, uh, the government uh, help working as, as deftly as we could navigating the color code system uh, um, that we had here. And uh, as far as the safety measures that the state were, um, were trying to help us through navigate and, um, and in the end, uh, we started realizing that, oh, now we can assemble enough people to audition. We can um, assemble enough people to start rehearsing again. And that was in May. So we started rehearsing Mary Poppins. We remounted Bright Star. And then we auditioned for Murder on the Orient Express, knowing that we didn't know exactly when we'd be able to start again. Uh, our season of twenty. Uh, 20 became compressed so we had to lose one show which was titanic uh, it was just too big to be able to insert not knowing where it would be mm-hmm. uh, able to go in and so we we compressed the season one and then murder on the orient express slid a little bit and uh, slid into this position and um and then of course on the center stage right now we'll be closing out uh uh, fairly soon with Million Dollar Express and with, with uh, Million Dollar, <laughs> I'm trying to combine the two, <laughs> Million Dollar Quartet, and then uh, Tarzan will mount uh, in the center stage. And so we're just seeing what we can do. And of course, we have new complications again right now because Utah's numbers are up. Um, but it, it, we've been able to keep most of our full-time, we have been able to keep most of our part-time, and we've been able to continue to hire the actors. I mean, the arts industry has been eviscerated. I don't know of another word to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been totally, um, totally uh, devastated by by all of the closing. And so we are happy. We are and, and we're not just talking theater, but any little bits of any ground that they were able to gain and be able to to be able to do things per normal a little bit really affected them. And people who would say, I haven't been on a, a date with my wife for five months, for six months, for, you know, we finally decided to venture out. And not everybody's comfortable. And we don't encourage people to come if, mm-hmm. they're, if they're not comfortable. Uh, we probably have about... Um, 75% of our season ticket holders. And um, we had 
uh, almost 30,000 of those, about 75% of them who are feeling comfortable to come back. The others we've worked with either extend their tickets to the next year or they can trade their tickets or we could give a refund. Mm -hmm. We've done whatever they want to have happen. But most people are feeling like they love this and they need this. And um, just for your information, we've, um, uh, we, we, we have uh, an amazing success rate here. Uh, we have had over 115,000 patrons through so far with not one known case of COVID spread. Right on. Uh, we, we, um, we think that part of that is because we are very, very vigilant about uh, keeping the, the laws that the state have told us to do this, the, uh, the safety regulations. But the other thing is, we find that we have in this new building a MERV-17 filter system, which is surgical grade. So in every place you go in the theater, you could have surgery if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> we were just feeling so fortunate when we found that out. We knew we had a good one. We didn't know it was that good. So it does clean the air. It scrubs it twice before you breathe it. Yeah. I, I mean, I was in the audience for the performance. I felt perfectly safe the whole time I was there. But again, that's that's everyone's personal uh, decision to make it. It was really just good and comforting to see, you know, people collectively enjoying this experience one more time. Gosh, Sally, we've we've been meaning on screen cleaning to do an episode about theater for quite some time. And and you've been fantastic today. And we'd love to have you back on when we can talk about something uh, hopefully a little bit more normal as well. But just before I let you go, how can people come and, and check out Murder on the Orient Express? How long is it going to be playing? And, and where's the Hale Center Theater located for those here locally in Utah? Okay, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, again, this is regional premiere, plays through November the 14th. Uh, it is a... Um, uh, you can go on to hct.org or you can call the theater at 801-984-9000. We are located between 106 South and 90th South, right on I-15 in Sandy, Utah. So you can see us. We have a big marquee right on the, right on the freeway. And uh, we have two theaters and uh, we're having a lot of fun here. And we would love to invite you all to come and and uh, take a deep breath and relax a little bit and and forget that we're not entirely normal yet and feel a little normal. That's what we're hoping for. Very beautifully stated. And for, for anyone of our national listeners, local theater is so important. Um, I oh, put please. my faith behind it. And Sally, one more word. <laughs> please support your local arts please do it. I'm telling you, uh, everyone needs it right now. Whatever you can do, if there, if, if the, the small theater next to you is trying to open its doors, put your money there, buy a ticket, support the arts. Uh, the arts need you. And you know what? We all need the arts. Well said. Sally Dietline is the executive producer of Murder on the Orient Express, one of the co-founders of the Hale Center Theater. Thank you for being on Screen Cleaning. Thank you. Thanks one more time to Sally. I just, I really appreciate listening to people talk about something that they are passionate about. And in the arts, whether it's movies or video games or theater, people get really excited about the things that they do. And Sally was one of those people. It was a joy to talk to her. So 
As I understand it, both you and Mickey went to go see Murder on the Orient Express. Yes, so let's talk about it. Yes. Well, the coolest part for me was that it was on a rotating stage, right? And they built kind of a a giant box for the train. And you could see the inside hallway of the train. They flipped it around, different rooms. Very cool, very well done. Yeah, Sally kind of mentioned it, but but you described it a, a little bit better. Like, it was just this box that was on a rotating platform, but it gave us not only the two sides of the box, but also you could see down that little alley, and the actors were still mm-hmm. acting as they were transitioning from scene to scene. It, that was really, really imaginative on a very, very small stage. Right, very small. And it, the costuming and the set pieces, all very well done, transports you right there with them the upholstery on even like it seemed like we Uh were in a very fancy train yeah from that era i'm super jealous you guys because i make a point to seek out halloween or suspense theater every every halloween right because Mm -hmm. i think it's a really unique way to celebrate this holiday and be spooked out and and to have get those chills in a different medium as I was watching Murder on the Orient Express, I know that we just got the movie, right? And people are going to compare any version to Absolutely. the most watched version. And honestly, for my parents, the most watched version is David Suchet, right? Sure. That's, that's Hercule Poirot for my family. But as I watched it, I kind of yearned for a really, really scary telling of this same movie because there were times when the way they acted and the way just the lighting worked on the stage, I could picture it being attacked from a much more gruesome atmosphere because mm-hmm. the ending is very well known but spoilers everybody did it and so when they just kind of take turns acting that out and and the way they kind of had a a projection above the screen mm-hmm. whenever we look at the handwriting or whenever we look the audience is given kind of a close-up view of things that the actors are looking at on stage which i hadn't seen done before it and it was pretty cool i thought that was amazing and, and just it seemed more cinematic than a stage play has before to me absolutely i do wish i wouldn't have known the ending but what can you do, right? I did see the movie. Yeah. So. Every time I watch yeah. a murder on the Orient Express, I think, are they going to change it? And then they don't. And that's probably for the best. So it seems like they had some obstacles to overcome as far as how they're going to present all of these things that are going on all at once. And it sounds like they did some really innovative, cool things to, to execute that. They really did. They did. That's cool. Execute. Sorry for the pun. Um, <laughs> it is cool, though, because I think there. this makes me mindful of the fact that maybe there are actually quite a few thrillers slash horrors that take place on a train. Maybe it's that close proximity to each other. Zombies on a train. Can't really go anywhere. Snakes on a train. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've got another play that I actually took my six-year-old to go see, and it was The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Now, I thought I thought because the running time was only 45 minutes, I just assumed, oh, it's likely going to be younger performers. It actually was adult performers. One thing I appreciated, though, and, you know, Sleepy Hollow is in a little bit of bit of a different camp than Murder on the Orient Express. I don't care as much here that I happen to know the ending. Mm -hmm. And, you know, each adaptation does things a little bit differently. And there are some things that they did differently here. But what I did really appreciate, since it was only 45 minutes especially, was there was a dramaturg that came out to introduce the play. And he said, I'm going to spend about 10 minutes just telling you about the history of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Washington Irving and Terrytown, where apparently this uh, story takes place, right? And so he just spent 
10 minutes talking about different adaptations, about how this story came to be. There's another Tim Burton connection here. We mentioned Mars sure. Attacks earlier. Absolutely. And I really appreciated it because I love history, and I especially as it ties into literature and film, that just really grips me. Then they got into the play, and it's one of those plays where you have a pretty small cast of characters. There are maybe seven actors in the whole production, but you have people that are playing the townsfolk while also narrating the story. And, uh, you know, you have the typical characters that you have in the story, so there wasn't anything different there. But they were actually able to do a lot with a little. They made use of pantomime. You know, they didn't have an actual horse or like a papier-mâché horse or dog. They would just have one of the actors acting it out or just pretending like he was there when he wasn't in actuality, right? (laughs) They had a a pretty spooky scene that involved the bridge that Ichabod Crane has to cross later on in the show. And they, like I said, I think the biggest takeaway for me was that they were able to do a lot with a little. And one thing that that I noticed was that they were very observant of all the social distancing and, and cleanliness and mask policy things that they had in place. And so it was really interesting to go to a play under those circumstances. So you you guys know that the actors really feed on the audience that is there. So I wonder if maybe they weren't able to pull from that energy from the crowd because the crowd was decimated basically because of all of these restrictions that were in place. And you can't see their facial expressions. Like, sure. are they actually enjoying did what you I'm guys, doing here? Yeah. Did you guys get a sense of that when you went to go see it with the restrictions that were set in place there? I mean, honestly, so I've been on stage before, not in any, like, this capacity, but the way they shine lights on you and the way the house lights are down, I never really pulled from the audience much anyway because you can barely see them if you're in a bright – like if you're in that kind of a stage. My favorite part of the show though was on the way home, uh, my daughter pretending to be the headless horseman by rattling her fingernails against the window (laughs) and me pretending to be scared and we did it the entire way home. It was the most fun I had (laughs) of the entire evening. But The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, also another great option this Halloween. These are a couple local productions, and when we come back here on Screen Cleaning, we're going to talk about scary theater uh, and scary musicals, maybe on a more wider scale. This is Screen Cleaning. Now that is from Beetlejuice on Broadway, which I was lucky enough to see last year. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. In yeah. New York City. In New York City. Not Broadway. exactly the Deo Banana Boat song that we're used to from Beetlejuice. No, they but... do they do sing that though yeah. at later points of the musical. And the thing about Beetlejuice on Broadway. Wait, how many times have we said it already? Oh no. I think that's three. <laughs> oh darn it. I can see him coming down the hall right mm-hmm. now. The thing about it is, though, if you're not a musical person, you're probably not going to like this. But it's also uh, there are some some pretty good callbacks to the movie. They do change the story a little bit. Right. 
uh, elaborate on some things, get rid of some things. I don't want to spoil it, but at the same time, I'm not sure when people are going to get to watch it. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to see it anytime soon. And I mean, it was it's not coming back to Broadway right. when Broadway comes back either. Right. That's the thing about Broadway. I really feel like they should film everything, just put it on Netflix like a year later. Why don't they do yeah, that? Yeah, they totally because it should. Would, it would damper the effect of the theater and that only a certain few can go see it. And yeah, I know. But it was, it was with, a time and a place. I and, guarantee you, though, that they're going to take a closer look at that with the way things are now. They're going to need to recoup their money somehow. And with Hamilton's success when oh, it yeah. went to Disney+. Right. Plus, uh, We want to talk about uh, spooky theater now and spooky musicals because there are other things that have been on the stage that we've seen in movie versions. So, Jeff, last year you saw Sweeney Todd on the stage. I'm used to the Johnny Depp movie. I've it's seen accessible. both. I've seen both now. I still have not seen the Angela Lansbury version, which she apparently was really good in. But have you seen the the Office version with Andy Bernard? I have That's also awesome. seen that. <laughs> and what was what I appreciated about seeing it on stage is that what you might have hangups about watching it on the silver screen, you might not have hangups watching it in the theater because you are not going to see the extreme gore that you would see in the Johnny Depp, Tim Burton version. Did right? they use like the red ribbons that Andy does in the office? No, no, not really. <laughs> they they used they have these blood packets, but they don't. It's you don't focus so much on the blood. There's certainly slashing and. They had this really cool slide that the actors got to slide down when after they had been uh, taken care of, let's just say. Mm -hmm. And the music is really a strong suit for this musical. And uh, oddly enough, in this musical about death and murder and revenge, you have a couple of really sweet, heartfelt songs that are really among some of the more beautiful songs that you will hear going to the theater including Nothing's Gonna Harm You, Not While I'm Around, which is actually a very disturbing song if you think about it because you have this little boy singing it to uh, this woman who is chopping people up and putting them in pies. He's singing this song to her, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to protect you from Sweeney Todd, basically. And in the back of her mind thinking, oh, no, now I've got to take care of this kid, you know. So mm-hmm. there is that really dark twist of the song. But then there's a really sweet song that takes place uh, between these two lovers that cannot be together. Right. The fates are against them. And uh, he's just singing this song about this girl named Joanna. And it's very sweet, very romantic. And then you've got all these other songs about, you know, disposing Chopping of people. people and, up. <laughs> yeah. You know, the music. Fun time on the, on the theater. I would have gotten rid of some of the, uh, the smoke from the smoke machine. I'm not a huge fan of smoke machines because they kind of make me nauseous. But uh, an overall fun time. And if you're squeamish, the, the stage version is definitely the one you want to go with. The music is a highlight of that. Uh, there's a movie called Repo, the Genetic Opera, which is a <laughs> musical and it's an opera. It's like sung through. But unfortunately, the music is kind of a weak part to it. Like it's very <laughs> horror. It's it's about a repo man, but he's repossessing organs instead of repossessing cars or homes sure. or whatever else. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a fun, gory time. But it, the music is kind of just, a lot of times when you sing through, you can either do it in like the Hamilton way where it's like upbeat and going all the time, or you could just kind of 
sing a little bit of just saying the words you're doing, and it doesn't particularly <laughs> sound like a song. That's better than some musicals I've that seen. That is Nicole. better than some musicals. <laughs> so, Mickey, you, as we understand, you, mm-hmm. you got to see one other Halloweenish type show yes. in New York. And the good thing about this one is you probably will, when we have theater back, Again, be able to see it at some point if you're interested in that. It's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Ooh. Which I loved. Um, and it is a little spooky. gets a little Halloween. They have some Dementors flying at you. But oh, the cool, cool thing about it is it's the most amazing practical effects in a play I've ever seen. Because Whoa. an important part of Harry Potter, right, is the magic. And they spared no expense on doing any kind of tricks or wand waving or fighting. It was amazing. And this is grown-up Harry Potter, Grown-up Harry Potter and then his kids. And if you're – I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I – when I read Cursed Child, they released it as a book. I didn't love it. Then I saw the play – and I thought it was amazing. Well, and the mm. book is literally just the the book, the script, the script right? It's not for, like a yeah. real story, but it won it won Tony the Tony Award for mm-hmm. best play, all these awards. And so I'm telling you, highly recommend it. Movies and books about witches and wizards and goblins and werewolves and poltergeists. That sounds like it should be horror, and then we realize, oh wait. That's describing Harry Potter, the most popular children's book of all time. You know, you may not watch too many scary movies. You may not go see too many scary plays. But the very least you could do is listen to some Halloween music. So we've got a wonderful hybrid of two of my favorite songs. And uh, it's our panning for good for today. There's good in them dire hills. I saw this post on Facebook, and I had to share it on the show here today. Cole may roll his eyes and say that, you know, Mickey and I are living in the past, listening to 90s rap music. But anybody that loved the movie Ghostbusters and the song by Ray Parker Jr. loves that song, and they love Intergalactic by Beastie Boys. How about the two together? Fits perfectly. This is an even better mashup than the X-Files Downton Abbey that I have talked about so many times on the show. I, I think that I've used that audio more than any other piece of audio in the history of screen filming. I think this will be my is new ringtone. I think as trick-or-treaters come up to my house this year, I'll have this song playing. Because, again, individually, two fantastic songs. And together, it's just a match made in heaven. It's like it was meant to be, Cole. If I was trick-or-treating, I would definitely come to your house. Oh, Look. yeah. The coolest house on the block. 90s mainstream rap has a certain sound that the Beastie Boys and Run DMC and Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch all managed to tap into. And it is not a sound that I particularly enjoy Well, in this music. is panning for good, Cole. So we're going to focus on the good. And the good part of that was Ray Parker Jr.'s uh, Ghostbusters theme, which I do Nobody... love around Halloween time. Nobody. So, what was that? The Sarah Lee, like nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. Nobody doesn't like Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters. And with one notable exception, Cole Wissinger, nobody doesn't like the Beastie Boys. Oh, agreed. <laughs> They're legendary. Cole, we are gearing up for a really big show here on Screen Cleaning. Tell us 
what we need to do to prepare for it. Once we're out of the spooky month, we're going to reset your media attention and and, uh, palette, if you will, with a bunch of just easy-to-watch sitcoms. It's time again for another bracket on screen cleaning. So circle November 14th on your calendars. It's the second Saturday uh, where you can... Uh, start filling out the bracket now. Uh, it'll be in the podcast description where you can follow the link and put your email in there. We promise they don't send you any spam. I've tried it many, many times. But <laughs> you, you just fill out your email so you can be entered to win the prize and fill out your favorite sitcoms of all time. We range starting at the top of the bracket with some of the newest ones like a, The Good Place and Parks and Rec all the way down to I Love Lucy and Gilligan's Island. Pick your favorites. Be entered to win. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Next week, we are so excited to bring you Scream Cleaning. (laughs) And we're going to have a great time. We'll be talking about older horror movies and whether or not they hold up. That's all next week here on Screen Cleaning. Until then, I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.